producers of 30 for 30. These five basketball player Muhammad Ali's. Long shorts, slack socks, black shoes. We were bigger than the score of the game. In 1991, five Michigan freshmen ignited a basketball revolution. From ESPN Films, The Fab Five, Sunday, March 13th at 9 on ESPN. Presented by Street Fighter. Good afternoon, good evening. My name is Marty Plum, and I am your host of a pen and a napkin podcast, the weekly coaching clinic you can carry around with you in your pocket. And welcome back. I have such a big smile on my face right now, Kruger, because I tell you what, I loved, not that I don't love doing all the podcasts, but the film room just just hits me in a certain place where, you know, <laughs> the, these are just a, a whole lot of fun to do. And I am really, really excited, uh, A, that you agreed to come back on here. My, one of my uh, Swiss knife guests here. You could kind of fill in a little bit of everything, Kruger. So, uh, you know... Uh, just, but I'm just excited for season two of the film room. We're changing it up. We're doing it a little bit earlier. Uh, we're 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 gonna. This is basically gonna be kind of a summer thing, uh, and and I'm I'm just I'm just ready to roll here. So how you doing tonight, man? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. So yep, just watching the watching the Cubs get beat by the Cardinals at the same time. So oh. if there's an expletive that slips out every once in a while. That's what's going on. What's the score? I I checked earlier. Uh, it was two to one. It is it is two to one and about to be about to be more uh, to to one. Yeah, to, to one, to one, to one. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll roll with it for now. So, um, we are here. Uh, and and uh, again, Mark Kruger, head girls basketball coach at Miller West High School in Omaha, Nebraska, West Omaha, 178th and Q. If you want to look it up on the Google Map machine, uh, but. Uh, I thought Kruger that, uh, I, and I know there was another one that you wanted, and you can't tell what it is because I want to, <laughs> you know, I, I I like having a little mystery to this, you know, what's going to be the next one each week. Uh, yeah. But I thought of you for this one because we are the same age. This yeah. is right in our college years, essentially our early college years. Uh, the, the Fab Five is essentially our age. Uh, they're one year older than us. And I just, you know, I thought it would be really good to have somebody who, you know, is my age and, and, and lived through all of this while it was happening. So, um, and you're a Big Ten guy. We both grew up in Iowa. We're very yeah. familiar with the kind of the, the real world of this and, and, and as it happened, so to speak. So, uh, that was kind of my motivation for having you on here on this one, Kruger. So hope you're all right with that, man. Absolutely. Yep. Looking forward to it. All right. And so folks, just so you know, uh, this is the first of 10, uh, film rooms. We are going to do uh, just like we did, uh, last year, we're going to do five documentaries and we're going to do five films. Uh, we're going to have some, some guests that were on before. We're going to have some new guests that haven't done a film room before. And it, it should just be a really, really good time. And I'm really excited to talk about this one. The Fab Five uh, came out in 2011. 
and kind of celebrating the 20th anniversary of the Fab Five coming to college and and, and playing in uh, the national championship game in in 90, 92 and 93. The, the fall of 91 is when they went to college. So, um, you know, let's, let's kind of go through it here. Obviously, like I said, Kruger, our college years, uh, I'm going to open with this. There's been many people I've wanted to be in my life at various times of my life, Kruger. Uh, I wanted to be Ryan Sandberg. I I went through an Axl Rose phase. Uh, I I went through a, I went through a Paul Markley phase. Um, that was just last week. I truly <laughs> sorry. There's only seven people that get that joke, and I don't care. They're gonna laugh at it. So uh, I truly for three years wanted to be Jalen Rose. I wanted to be, I thought Jalen Rose was the coolest basketball player on the planet. And I'm just going to lead with that right there. Even cooler than Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, man. I wanted to be Jalen. I had a, I had a Jalen Rose Jersey. I had, I had Michigan shorts. I wore black socks playing intramurals at Briarcliff college. I wanted to be a fab five member. Unfortunately, I wasn't quite athletic enough to make the cut. Well, we're we're uh, we're going to be on different ends of that spectrum then. Okay. Because because uh, kind of like for the reasons you were saying earlier, being a Big Ten Hawkeye fan uh, and stuff, I was not a Fab Five fan. Okay. Um. So I I, I was I did not want to be Jalen Rose or I was I was the you know I was the Dookie. Yeah. I uh, I was I was all about Christian Leitner and. And Bobby Hurley and Grant Hill, and I was a I was a Duke fan, so I was I did not you know again wasn't a huge fan of the Fab Five. And folks, this is now the shortest podcast in the history of a pen and a napkin. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, I understand it, and and, and it truly was. Uh, you were kind of in one camp or another at the time, weren't you, Kruger? I think so. Like it, they were definitely, and I thought the you know the documentary did a good job explaining that. It, they were they were divisive. Uh-huh. Um, and it did kind of draw some lines on, on, uh, you know, what, what you, what you stood for or what kind of basketball you liked or what was appropriate style of basketball. And mm-hmm. so it kind of, kind of broke some norms. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, the, the, the documentary in, in some ways, uh, was preceded. Now the book was completely separate, but Mitch album wrote a book. I still have it today. It was called the fab five. Uh, if you, if you want to buy it, it is on Amazon. I'm sure somewhere might even look it up real quick. Uh, but I, I read this book while I was in college. Uh, you know, probably read that book more than I read, uh, the textbooks that I was supposed to be, uh, reading, (laughs) And uh, just really enjoyed it. Um, and, you know, Mitch Album, the, the famed sports writer, trailed the Fab Five around for a couple of years. And it was it was pretty detailed. Uh, there were things in the documentary that were, were pretty true uh, to the book and, and, and where it was coming from there. A lot of the stuff dealing with, like, some of the other players on the team, which I thought they, they did a good job. And we'll get into that. So uh, did you know, Mark Kruger, here is your stat of the night. Uh, this was the highest watched, or this was the most watched 30 for 30 in the history of the 30 for 30 at the time that it aired. Oh, wow. I wouldn't have guessed that. Yep. Yep. Uh, I think uh, the SMU one, uh, the was Pony Excess. Um, yep. And then uh, there was another one that was way up there. But this was the, uh, this was the most watched single 
30 for 30 at the time that it came out. Now, like the last dance blew it out of the water and, and, right. and all that stuff. But, uh, but I thought that was, uh, you know, I thought that was interesting as well. So, um, I'll, you know, I'll let you kind of lead here, Kruger, on, on, on the, the first official category. Your just overall thoughts. What did you think of the documentary? Um, you know, I thought it was, it was good. It's interesting. Like I said, I, I wasn't a huge fan, so I didn't, you know, I didn't read the book you were talking about. And, mm-hmm. you know, I knew, I knew some of the general stories and some of the things you've heard, but, um, but, uh, I, I think I had originally watched it like when it first came out, obviously years ago. So it was, it was a good kind of rewatch to, uh, just kind of remind yourself and bring back some of those memories of, you know, the, the, of course the infamous timeout game and, and mm-hmm. things like that. But, um, so yeah, I was, I was, uh, I was entertained and I was, I was into it and it kind of took you down memory lane a little bit again. You, uh, we both grew up in Iowa and for folks that are not from Iowa, uh, there, there, there is a story during this time period and, and Mark, you and I, and, and other friends of ours, uh, the, on the big 10 network, they had a story of, uh, Chris street who was, uh, you know, Nebraska kind of has their Brooke Berenger for for Iowa people of this generation. You know, Chris Street is is the the player, uh, the athlete that we all remember. Uh, he was tragically killed in a I got hit by a snowplow uh, in Iowa City, leaving a, a hotel, and and uh, you know, so we actually commented when that first debuted. The game that they played that accompanied it was when Iowa played the Fab Five and knocked off the Fab Five in their first home game after Chris Street passed away. And one of the things that you and I and and others point out how different the game was in the early nineties. Uh, yes, you know, uh, kind of talk about that a little bit, Mark. Yeah, though they there was a big um, special on you know the Big Ten Network this year about Chris Street and that whole team. And then after that aired, they they replayed the the game and um so just watching that um i was just kind of amazed you know i hadn't seen a college basketball game it's you know that from 1992 and just the the pace of play the the style of play i think they i can't remember you know exact numbers but they made a comment you know about how michigan had like shot 10 three-pointers and that was outrageous you know <laughs> they, they, what, what are they doing shooting 10 three-pointers and and it was just it was just an interesting, totally, a totally different style um, than than what you see today. And I don't know if it's better or worse or what, but it was just, it was just very different. It's a different type of play. So, um, question for you, Mark Kruger: Was the Fab Five kind of the first big step in what we now have today, thirty years later, with a little bit of the, I guess we'll call it the player empowerment uh, movement? Where, where players kind of took control of their image and what they wanted to do, and it wasn't all about the coaches anymore. It was more, because, you know, especially in the 80s and the 90s, it was Tarkanian, it was Bobby Knight, it was Krzyzewski, uh, you know, all of these these coaches. And even even Duke, who was rolling, it was still a lot in a lot of ways more about Krzyzewski than it was Christian Leitner, even though Christian Leitner right. was really famous and that type of thing. Uh but with the Fab Five, it was truly about the players instead of was instead of it being about Steve Fisher. Could you make a, a at least a little bit of an argument for that? Oh, I think so. Like you think, like they talked about about how Jawan Howard, you know, after he made his decision to go to Michigan, you know, started recruiting um, other guys to come with him. 
Um, and of course you see that a lot all over all different sports today, you know, recruiting, they let's get a super team, you know, the, uh, obviously the Miami heat, the Celtics, or, you know, and everybody's trying to do that now. Um, and, and now with the, the transfer portal and everything, I mean, that's what, um, that's what the game is kind of turning into. Um, so yeah, I, I think there's a lot of, a lot of correlations there. And I think there's, I, I made a note in this and in, in my notes I made when I was watching this, that, you know, when they're, after they blew up as, as freshmen and became the fab five and famous and all that, that when they came back for their sophomore year, how different it was mm-hmm. and how they started to really feel exploited. Mm-hmm. You know, seeing their jerseys in the windows selling for $75 and them, you know, not seeing a penny of that. And, um, you know, I think that's the maybe the, the first time that, you know, we ever really heard about that kind of a thing. And mm-hmm. and uh, they kind of brought that out to, to light a little bit. Sure. And I, oh, go ahead. No, I'm just saying, obviously, you know, where we're at today with with NIL and yeah. And things that, yeah, I think you could you could definitely draw the origins of that back to these guys. Oh, absolutely. I, um, how uh, I would say, and again, Kruger, you and I lived this. Uh, the Fab Five were what I call pre-Twitter famous. Like yeah. you, you, even if you were just a casual college basketball fan, you knew all five starters from the University of Michigan, and and today if this was the same situation, but if Twitter existed back in 1991 or 1992, oh my goodness gracious sakes alive, how huge, I mean, they were huge in the early 90s. How big would they be today? I mean, right. it, it would be unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I, I totally agree. Yeah. Um, I also, uh, I did a little uh, statistical dive. Um, this was a really, really balanced basketball team uh all five of these players ended up being thousand point scorers now chris weber was their leading scorer uh but they they were a pretty balanced squad i think their sophomore year uh they all of them averaged 10 at least 10 points a game except for ray jack ray jackson i think he was at like nine and a half points a game so it was definitely a group effort it was a team effort uh with what they achieved it, you know and, and chris weber was overall the best individual player out of the group and and not not only at the time but through their nba careers as well so um that was all i think that's kind of a forgotten thing is just you know a lot of it a lot of people look at the baggy shorts and the the black socks and all those other things but uh this was a this was a a very talented basketball team as well that uh it's hard to make back-to-back NCAA championship games at any point in the history of the tournament. And, and these guys did that. And I, and I think there's something that uh, has to be said for that. Yeah, um, exactly. It's, it's really, it's really hard to do. And I think, I think they kind of made mention of that where maybe they even kind of surprised themselves getting there as, as freshmen. Mm-hmm. And then, and then as sophomores, you know, there was pressure that, Oh, now we have to do it again. Um, and so, yeah, again, it's, it's it's definitely not definitely not easy. No. Coaches are absolutely loving are taking over a new program booklet. As many of you know, I spent two years outside of coaching, and during that time, I hung a note card in my workspace at school that said, strip the house down to the studs. I took that time to really rethink and reorganize my thoughts on what it takes to run a transformational program. As I prepared for the possibility of coaching again, I organized these thoughts into this 96-page booklet. 
How much do I trust this booklet? I used this booklet as I went on interviews to help sell myself and my vision for what my new program would look like. If I'm using it to sell myself, why wouldn't I recommend it to you, my listeners? This booklet will help you look at any part of your program, no matter what stage you're at in your program, and help improve it in some way. It's all yours for only $15, which includes shipping and handling. For more information, email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. All right, let's get into the thick of it here, Kruger. Um, we've got we've got some old categories. We've got some new categories. I added some new categories this year. I hope you I hope you uh, like the name of some of the new categories here. Uh, yeah. But uh, uh, let's 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 hop in here. Uh, first okay. of all, we'll start with this one. How often should you rewatch this documentary? Um, you know, I don't. Again, for you know, if you're a Michigan fan. Um, if you're a Michigan fan, I think you, you know, you maybe rewatch it quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but you know, for someone like me, as I said, I really wasn't a fan. Um, you know, it was, when did you say it was first released? 2011, I believe. 2011. Yeah. So, you know, it probably, it's been 10 years since I, you know, since I've seen it. And I think that was about right. Okay. Um, for, for someone like me, I guess if you're, if you're a Michigan fan or something, mm-hmm. um, then, you know, you could, you probably maybe own it or, you know, whatever, but, yeah. um, but I don't think, you know, again, it's not something I don't think you, you watch every single every single year. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, yeah, I said I, I enjoyed going back and, and rewatching it. Uh, it had been a while and it was it was good to remember that stuff again. Yeah. Well, you're, you're once every 10 years. You're you still uh, that's far away from the film room record of once every 37 years with my buddy Meyer <laughs> and Teen Wolf last year. So uh, <laughs> so that's, that's that's all right. So um, favorite scenes here. Um, I had, oh, one, two, three, four, about, about five or six, uh, uh, favorite scenes here. And, and, uh, I'm going to start and, and I'll start with this and, and, and let's just go back and forth here, Kruger. Uh, how many, how many favorite scenes did you have? Um, well, there's kind of, I, well, if I could go first, because I don't really have a number. Okay. So my favorite part of the documentary was the the highlights of the games playing Duke. Okay. So just the the highlights of those games and, and showing that, like that was my favorite part to to mm-hmm. watch. I enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know how many clips of that there was, but those were my favorite scenes. Mm-hmm. I I had uh, the first Duke game as one of my favorites you know just the whole the watching the arena and, and everybody you know the, the crowd freaking out when they made the big comeback in the first duke game and that type of thing mm-hmm. um fun fact for you mark kruger 1992 final four where duke played michigan in the final guess who was at that game oh wow my dad well, wow yeah that's yeah. cool yeah my my uncle rich won what they used to have the lottery type of deal and and you know they give you know 10,000 tickets away, you know, you, that type of thing. And, and yeah. my Uncle Rich won the lottery, and he didn't know who to bring. Uh, he had two, he had, I have two cousins from uh, on from his family, and he couldn't pick between which one of his boys that he wanted to pick, so he asked his brother, my dad, to go, and they were about 35 rows right behind the Duke bench for the national championship game against Michigan. Wow. Yeah. So that one, whenever I watch it, that one makes me a little nostalgic as well, uh, thinking of that, that my, you know, my dad got to witness that kind of history there, watching Duke win back-to-back championships, 
got to see Bobby Knight, uh, got to see the Fab Five. So that was pretty, you know, I always thought that was pretty cool. So Absolutely. Yeah. Um, some of my other favorite scenes here. Uh, I'm going to, uh, the, the Notre Dame game, I thought they did a good job where, where all five of them started together for the first time. Uh, and I yeah. remember um, those games be on, being on NBC. I'm sure you remember that, Kruger. Um, <laughs> Al McGuire would be on the Notre Dame games on NBC on Sunday afternoons. And yeah. uh, so that was, again, a little nostalgia from the late 80s and early 90s. Um, the, the Cosby scene where Joan Howard thinks he's going on the Cosby show. <laughs> yeah that was i thought that was really funny uh you know and again from our childhood uh it's it's hard to to tell people how popular the cosby show and again i know there's been a lot of obviously a tremendous amount of personal fallout in the story of bill cosby and everything like that but uh you know it was the cosby show was huge in the late 80s and the early 90s um i thought they did a really good job you know let's take a minute to talk about this kruger um the cultural issues that came out of this story, uh, the the rise of of hip hop music, the 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 rise of a, a lot of uh, what you know the the Black Pride type of movement of the of the early nineties, uh, mm-hmm. you know that type of thing, and and Rodney King was a huge part of that. You know, in class we talked about uh, the Rodney King riots last week or something like that in my history class, and. You know, this was the the George Floyd situation of our high school years. You know, early college, uh, that type of thing. And and I thought they did a pretty good job of explaining why this was such a hot button topic and why so many people had uh, such a hard time, uh, especially the the traditional national media had such a hard time wrapping their heads around this new quote-unquote urban culture that these these five athletes represented yeah that was one of the things i wrote down for just discussion points is is just the um you know i don't know how you how you want to you know term it or whatever but yeah the the cultural divide or almost racial backlash Mm -hmm. is uh is kind of what i what i wrote down with you know they they made a, a big point to talk about you know the shorts and the black socks as you mentioned and um, yeah it was different and it didn't it didn't sit well with with a lot of people mm-hmm. um, and uh, so that was one of the things kind of as I watched this um, you know like I said I, like I said I wasn't a fan but I I, I in some ways I kind of gained some respect for these guys mm-hmm. um, for for sticking their necks out there and and doing these things and you know not caring what other people thought that, being authentic you know, this is yeah like this is who we are this is what we're going to do and we don't care if we get criticized um and so um i kind of you know appreciated that a little bit of of them mm-hmm. uh, and they you know and they had sort of you know reasons for doing it they they had you know where they kind of you know just wore the blue t-shirt without the m on it yeah um they <clears throat> they uh they were aware of, of the issues going on around them. Let me just say it that, that way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and under, and, and for me, I, I think this is a well put together documentary. Uh, it, it's, it's pretty, there's not a lot of fat to it, you know? Um, but I thought kind of, I put under worse scenes and, and when I say worse scenes, when it comes to this documentary, um, 
it has a lot to do with uh, just the cringe factor of just how evil people can be uh, when they start talking about the the racist letters and the stuff that was sent to the athletic department and yes. the, the the language that was used by you know these folks believe that they were esteemed alums of the institution but they were saying such evil and racist things about these young kids that are 18 19 20 years old and and that was that was so hard to uh watch once again and i think it's just like with anything you you have no idea what people are dealing with when they're in front of you that they keep to themselves that they don't tell you about. And, and here's this, you know, nobody knew about all of this racism that these, that these young men were facing until this documentary came out and all the evil and the, and the, the evil things that were spewed towards them. They had to, uh, they, they had to, uh, had to grow up in a hurry, I guess would maybe be the best way to say it in, in, in such a negative, negative light, you know? Yeah. And like you said, can you imagine if there was Twitter in 1993? Oh Yeah. You know, like they were just, you know, getting it in, in letters, which is which is horrible. But, uh, you know, um, if anybody can just anonymously start throwing that stuff up there, like, holy cow, that would have that would have really been been worse. Well, there was a, a deal. I don't know if you remember this, Mark. It was about three years ago. Ohio State was in, I think it was during the covid tournament where they played without crowds or whatever. And mm-hmm. there was a kid from Ohio State. It was like a first-round game, and they were pretty high-seeded. They were like a three or four-seed, and they lost in the first round. And there was a one of their players missed a free throw towards the end of regulation that would have like tied the game and sent it to overtime. And and somebody there there were there were people using the N word with him on Twitter, uh, you know, all because all because this twenty-one-year-old kid missed a free throw. I mean, yeah. just just it, it's just awful stuff. You know, just just terrible, terrible stuff, and it's a lot to put on the plate of anybody, let alone a really, really young person. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Um, so my worst scene um, is kind of a it's maybe a good transition from from yours because mine's kind of a lighthearted worst scene. Okay, can, can I give you my favorite scene though? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's fine. That's it's, fine. It's your pod. It's no, your pod no, hey, no, no, no. You're the guest. Um, <laughs> I thought the scene that they did the best, and it was kind of the biggest scene of the, of the film, uh, was of course the timeout. And yes, and I thought the way they edited it and put it all together, and it was the one part of the the film that was really subdued. They kind of just let the natural sounds of the situation of of. Chris walking across off the court of him being on the golf cart with his with his brother uh, and, and those type of things. I, I thought they did a really really good job with that, and they showed with its simplicity they showed how big of a deal uh, the timeout was. And so yeah. I, I thought they did a really good job with that. So on the, on that, I have that down as my second worst scene, not because it was bad. Uh-huh. Um, it, like you said, it was very well done, but how uncomfortable it made me feel. Yeah, yeah. That that the the long I don't know you know how long it was. They showed his long walk. Oh, that, I had that I had that written down, Mark. Yes, and I um, like that was that was just like so uncomfortable. Um, I felt I, I wrote this down too. Should I feel sorry for Chris Weber? 
Mm. And I wrote that and I wrote that down when that was like after he had they'd shown that scene, him of that slow, slow, long walk off the floor. Okay. Um like I was like kinda I was again, I was caught, like, man, should I feel bad for him? Mm-hmm. Um because, you know, obviously he did things that he doesn't talk about that I think have been, you know, very well documented and, uh-huh. and things. So um but but like man, I did. Like here's a kid, he made a mistake, he called timeout. Um and my, but my gosh, like how magnified that was and how just, like I said, the way he just went into a shell and on that golf cart and yeah. it was just very uncomfortable to, yes. to watch. Yes. How about this, Kruger? Let's hold our discussion for, on Chris Weber for a little bit later in the pod. Yep. Okay. Got it. Sound good? Okay. Yep. Um, so best scenes, worst scenes. Anything else that you had in that category? I, I had one other big thing that I did want to talk about there, but I, 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 I defer to you, my guest. Okay, so my my lighthearted worst scene. Okay, Mitch Albom's hair. <laughs> <laughs> what is what is the deal? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you choked me up. Um, I think that every time I watch this, I uh, it's it's like Mitch, you make a lot of money, you've sold a lot of books, you can do better, you can do better. Yes, uh, like, somebody needs to help him out. <laughs> um, but it's it's distracting. <laughs> uh, Mitch, we're sorry if you ever listen to this. Uh, but I cannot agree with you more. Uh, I, 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 I mean, yeah, it's, it's, I, I don't mean this as a. I love Mitch Albom's work. I love his books. He does great stuff. But he shouldn't be on TV like that. <laughs> he was on the Sports Reporters, and 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 uh, that. Type, yes, you are correct. And I that completely. I was so locked in on the content, I forgot about the ancillary <laughs> stuff. And and yes, that is that is the under the under the. Uh, phrase bad haircut in the dictionary there's a picture of mitch album from this documentary yes <laughs> oh yeah that is that is a good point my friend that is a very good point oh boy so whoo all right um i kind of had uh one thing that they conveniently skipped and, and you brought this up before as a duke fan they were zero three against Duke those two years. Yeah, they did. They didn't talk about in the regular season their sophomore year. They went down to Duke and and Leitner had graduated. Thomas Hill had graduated, and they got waxed. They got beat. I you know double digits for sure. And uh, that one kind of conveniently ended up on the cutting room floor uh, would be my guess. Um, but you know they talked about Duke a lot, uh, and and I would say. You know, I forget which coach. It probably was somebody like Spurrier. You know, you got to win a game to call it a rivalry. Well, they went 0-3 against Duke those two years. So you can't really call it a rivalry unless Michigan wins one here. And and so I thought that was a, a, convenient, a, a convenient cut from the film, in my yeah. opinion. Um, and, and so I was disappointed in that. So... Anything else on that one? Nope. I, we can we can move to the next one. All right. So, uh, new category. I don't have a bell. Ding 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 ding. New category. Uh, the and it's it's a new category. It's an old category with a new name. 
uh, the blue chips basketball realism and accuracy, um, because I think blue chips of all any basketball movie has the uh, the best uh, basketball footage of any cinematic film put together, and mm-hmm. this doesn't really count um, because well, I mean, you know, it's all real and it's all great footage, so. Uh, a plus 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 plus. Give me more. Give me more. I wish they would have had more of that, if you will, uh, in in my opinion. But that's uh, you know, so not really much to talk about in that category. A pen and a napkin university videos are just another way that a pen and a napkin can help you become a better coach. Our university video library is constantly expanding, with topics ranging from interviewing for a job to full court defense to twenty five universal truths about coaching. Our university videos will help you round out your skill set as a coach and help you hone your craft. Videos are $10 a piece, with bundling options available. To order, you can DM me on Twitter, send me an email at apenandanapkin at gmail.com, or order from our website, apenandanapkin.com. Be sure to check out the Apenandanapkin Video Library. That's the sound effect for new category. Nice. wasn't wasn't much of one. I we could have got a better bell than that, but we're gonna take it. So, new category: the John Wooden Don Meyer best coaching advice of the film. Um, and I have one big thing on this one, Mark. Uh, would it be okay if I led on this one? Absolutely. All right. I really think one of the biggest things, and if you do this job as long as you and I have, uh, I think one of the things that this film does a pretty good job at is talking about how difficult it is and how to handle a situation when your younger players are just better than your older players. And, And here, you know, Michigan wasn't a terrible team. You know, Jake Vosco was a nice player. Eric Riley was a very nice post player in the Big Ten. Um, you know, Michael Talley was was a solid point guard. But, you know, obviously none of these guys are as good as the Fab Five. But that's a balancing act in your locker room. And you know just as well as I do, Mark, uh, how difficult that can be sometimes when you have younger players who are taking playing time away from, from older players. And I, and I say I always believe uh, 90 to 95% of your parental issues in your program, that's where it, that's where it usually comes from. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so, um, I, I thought that Steve Fisher handled the situation about as well as he could have while also being patient and not just jumping into starting all five of them right away. Uh, he waited until he felt like that was the only option that they had and 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 I think that the the film does a good job of of talking about that dichotomy within your locker room yeah um I, that's the first thing I have written down on uh on my list for this category too okay um and uh, as i'm you know you're I'm sure you're a little bit aware uh, I kind of had this exact situation a couple years ago mm-hmm. uh, where I, I had a couple of, of freshmen um, step in and, and play right away. And we're a, we're a class A school here in Nebraska, which is the largest class. And there's, there's freshmen that play, um, but it's, it's kind of rare that, you know, they step in from day one and, and start from day one. And well, I had, I had two. Um, and I think one of the things that, that helped me was that 
first of all, the, the, the kids that came in were, were pretty, pretty humble about it and, and did a good job. And, and, um, they had to, they had to, they had to earn it. I mean, they took their lumps the summer coming into their freshman year because defensively they weren't very good at all. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, the other kids were, you know, getting on them about it. And so they think they learned really quick that, oh man, like I have to step it up. I have to be better. And, um, but at the same time, it was very obvious that they were, um, very good players and, and deserve to play. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't a lot of question about, well, I think I'm better than her or this, you know, so it yeah. was, it was very cut and dried sure. that it was obvious that they deserve to be out there in, in what they were, what they were doing. So, um, that, that helped me a little bit. Um, and again, having a good group of, of upperclassmen that, that understood that, um, and so for us, I feel like it was um, not that big of a problem as it, as it maybe could have been. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, you know, we, we kind of went through that situation this past season as well, where we, we played quite a few underclassmen. We played, we played quite a few freshmen. And I know that that situation was hard for some of our upperclassmen. But I tell you what, they were really, really good teammates about it, even though it was a difficult situation for them personally and i think overall the the rob palinkas and 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 eric riley's and those guys whose minutes were taken away found a role found a niche on the team and were key contributors that you know again it wasn't just those five starters they needed especially at that that time period in college basketball where the very few players came out as underclassmen. So you had rosters that were intact for multiple years. You had much fewer transfers, so forth and so on. So I think those players did a pretty good job of, of accepting their role and doing the best with it that they could. Yeah. You know, one thing I was kind of curious about watching this too is uh, what was he Palinka? Is that his name? Yeah. He's the GM of the Lakers now. Okay. So he, I, you know, I didn't, what I found, I mentioned watching those highlights against Duke and just the highlights that they were showing, it seemed like when it came to crunch time, he was on the floor. Yeah. Well, I think he was their best shooter, probably. And I don't know which one of the five then that were off, but it seemed like he was on the floor in, in big-time crunch time minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I think he got good minutes. I think Eric Riley was their main backup big, and, and, and I think Vosco got some got some decent minutes from time to time, you know. They they just weren't starting anymore. They they were yeah. they were six seven eight nine, and again you know that's that's a hard role to to move when you're when you've started, and then you move to the bench and you lose that not because of a, of somebody your age or a transfer or it's because of somebody who's a couple of years younger than you. That's a that's a pretty tough pill to swallow, and yeah. and uh, you know those guys handled it really well. So. Um, Anything else for the Don Meyer category? That was my one big thing I, for the Don Meyer job. Yeah, I, I have I have one more here. Okay, how do, so? The the situation with the timeout. Um, like I found, I thought to myself, what if what if I had a player make that mistake? Oh, good, yeah. You know, in the say you're in the state tournament or something, and again you're out of timeouts, and you have a kid make that same mistake. Like, how do you? I mean, my gosh. The, the kid would be, you know, distraught and, and, you know, how, how would I, how would I handle, how would I handle that? Um, I yeah. thought about, I thought about that. There's an article, Mike Neighbors put something out on one, you know, one of the many things that he's put out. And he said there was a big list of 
you know, times that when players really need you. And it was a mm-hmm. list of 30 or 40 things. And it was, it was, you know, stuff like that. Or even, you know, when a player's car breaks down and they need you to help jump their car or something. And I think that's a, a great teaching lesson that Steve Fisher, you know, he had his players backs. Uh, he didn't blame Chris really ever. It was, it was just one of those things that happened under a pressure situation. And I, I think he probably handled it about as well as you could. Uh, and, and I think his teammates handled it about as well as they could. Yeah. I mean, I, and again, I thought about that. What would I do in that situation? And, you know, I just think you just, you know, you put your arm around a kid and try to get them to understand that, you know, we would have never been there without you. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it was, it's, it's not, again, like I said, it's, it's not your fault and I'm, I'm sorry it happened and, and things, but you know, my gosh, what a, what a difficult situation for a kid. Yep. Yep. Um, Best lines of the movie. I probably have seven or eight of them. Uh, how many you got, Kruger? I got uh, I got three. Okay, what do you got? Okay, um, so my first one is uh, um, I thought Christian Leitner was an overrated blank. Yeah. Um, so that was that was one I have on there from Jalen Rose. Uh huh. Um, another one, and this is probably my favorite one. Uh, from Ice Cube, uh, before the Fab Five, dudes were wearing panties out there. <laughs> uh, of course, in reference to the short shorts. Sure, sure. Um, and so that was that really made me chuckle. And uh, I have we can maybe we can talk about the shorts thing in a second, but uh, I have something with that too. Okay. Uh, and then and then my third one um, is another one from from Jalen Rose where he was talking about the Ohio State Buckeyes, but yeah. he used a different letter in front of Buckeyes than, yes. than other ones. So yeah. um, so the, my, my best lines aren't the most appropriate ones, but uh, yeah. they, they, did, they did make me chuckle a little bit. Gotcha. Um, let's talk about the shorts real quick. Um, okay. What did your shorts look like in high school, Mark Kruger? Okay, so again, we were right in, like you said, we're the same age, and so we were right in that transition of short shorts, and then along comes Michael Jordan, right? Yep. Um, so we had um, we had really short shorts, and we wanted long baggy shorts like Michael Jordan, and of course our school wasn't going to get new uniforms ever, you know, anytime soon, um, and so me and my friends, like we would constantly be stretching our shorts. Mm-hmm. Um, after they got washed, um, I believe we would, we would like tie our shoes and hang them with our shoes, like acting as weights. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Um, as like, we would hang them up and then like have weights hanging on them, trying to stretch them out. Yep. Um, we were constantly like pulling them down over our knees, trying to stretch them. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, none of this really made any difference, No. but, uh, but yes, we were, we were fans of the, the of the longer shorts and uh, and and wished we we had them, but didn't. Yeah, we were fortunate, like you said, and, and a lot of people point to the Fab Five, but the real originator, the the first edition of baggy shorts, and again, everything's relative, was of course Michael Jordan, and it was my sophomore year that our varsities got new uniforms. And so we got the, the, at the time in 1990, what were considered baggy shorts. And okay. so they came down, um, oh, probably a third of the way down the thigh. 
so to speak, okay. you know. Um, so we're still two thirds of the ways, uh, two thirds of the way away from the the top of the knee. Uh, but boy, it, it felt like we were uh, roaming free, so to speak, when we were wearing those. Uh, yeah. We felt pretty cool compared to a lot of other people that we were playing against. So, um, so yes, the the shorts were a sight to a sight to see in the 1980s. So. Um, I've got a few of them here. Um, Brian, uh, Brian Burwell had a great line. He's talking about Chris Weber and, and him being paid. And again, we're going to cover C Webb here, uh, when we get to that point. Uh, and he, but he's talking about him possibly, or, you know, it seems pretty evident that he got some money. Um, mm-hmm. and he said, uh, Chris thinks, what is there to apologize for? You got the bargain. I was like, <laughs> Hmm. That's kind of a deep thought there, and there's some there's some truth to that statement there. So, yep. um, Steve Fisher, uh, all five freshmen think they're going to start, but it won't happen. Of course, that's kind of like George Bush saying, "Read my lips, no new taxes." <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, the this campaign promise didn't exactly stick for Steve Fisher. Um, there was the narrator and Tay Diggs narrating uh, the documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, it was amateur athletics, but business was booming. Uh, that's that's a that's a clever line as well. That's 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 a a pretty big point there. So, um, I think it was Jalen Rose that said schools like Duke didn't recruit me, um, which you know Coach Shashevsky kind of you know he he fired back a little bit. If if you do some some research, uh, he kind of spoke out against some of the things that. Uh, Jalen and some of the other players said about Duke during that time period. And I think Grant Hill said, you know, something along the lines of, well, you didn't beat us, so you don't have much to talk about. And I, I think there was some some legit bad blood still 20 years later after this popped out. So, yeah. Um, so those are some of my favorite lines, Kruger. So um, what do you think of mine? Yeah, those are good ones. Those are good ones. Okay. Um, Returning category, the Dom Pagnotti, sleaziest character of the movie, coming from He Got Game. We credit Tyler Shaw with this category, the Dom Pagnotti, sleaziest character of the movie. Uh, I have two, Kruger. Um, okay. And, and one, I would have to explain it, but I think it'll make sense once I go through it. But I'm going to give you the, the opportunity to lead on this one. Okay, I'm interested in what your two is because I kind of thought there was just one clear answer here, and that's got to be Ed Martin, right? Okay, so Ed Martin is is definitely one of mine. So yeah, uh, big that money. That was the Ed. only one I had. That was the only one that you had. Here is here is my uh, here's my thinking outside of the box. Don Pagnotti, sleaziest character of the movie, the NCAA. Oh yeah. You know, making a lot of money, like I said, like Tay Diggs told us, it was amateur athletics, but business was booming. And I, I think that the the NCAA has used the um, the the image of amateur athletics to make billions and billions of dollars, and it's it's a lot of money. We we can only imagine how much money is in the coffers of the NCAA. You know, let's leave it at that. And right. and am I a huge fan of transfer portal and NIL and all of this other stuff? Now, I don't know. I don't know how to feel about it because there's a part of me as somebody who went to college who was not an athlete, who didn't have any special skills, um 
who had to pay for a college education. I didn't come from an affluent family. And if you would have given me a college scholarship and I would have gotten to fly on planes and play in arenas and gotten a lot of, uh, I'm sure there were a lot of things that were done for the Fab Five in the sense of just the fame and fortune, not not fortune at the time, but the the fame that they had on campus, uh, so forth and so on, that they still had it pretty good, you know, and, and so there, there's that part of me that goes, you know, that's, you know, don't, don't tell me how hard you had it, you know, but I also understand that those guys were making, what'd they say, over $10 million in a year after Michigan had made $1.5 million in the year before, uh, yeah. or, or something like that. So, there, there is that part of it that I truly get and understand as well. So, um, you know, big, Ed, big money Ed was a pretty easy person to p- figure out. But I thought I'd think outside the box there a little bit, and and talk about the role in the NCAA and you know the Fab Five creating all this revenue, all of this fame, the television ratings, all of these other things, uh, and they didn't get to see a dime of it, so to speak, uh, during right. those during those years of college. Yep, I think you. Yep, those are. Yeah, I didn't think about that, but you're right. That plays into a lot of the, the modern day stuff again, like we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. So, um, best storyline, best storyline. Uh, I really liked Jawan Howard's arc in the movie, um, in the documentary. Uh, you know, the story of him growing up in Chicago. He was the first one that they that they really targeted, and they felt like if they could get Jawan Howard, other players would follow. Uh, obviously, uh, it was very tragic with his grandmother passing away on the day that he signed at the University of Michigan. But he was he was the linchpin of the group, and it kind of shows in his career choice today of now being the head coach at the University of Michigan, um, just how much the institution of Michigan meant to him and, and, and why he has come back. And, uh, you know, I just, I just enjoyed that part of the story. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, one of the things I have written down here is just the, the different reporters talking about like really how likable the kids Mm -hmm. were. That was my, that was my other storyline for this category. Yes. So go ahead, Mark. Um, that you think maybe they were, you know, again, who knows what they were, you know, but th- that they were, you know, arrogant or full of themselves. And, and you know, maybe maybe other people thought they, they really were. But these reporters, these guys that were following them around and everything that they were like, you know, really, really likable kids and and things. So um, I think maybe that's not the image that most people have of the Fab Five. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was that was kind of interesting. Yeah. Just the again. They were just like us at that age, 18, 19-year-old college kids doing the things that, that college kids do and creating friendships and creating bonds and those bonds between teammates and lifelong friends. And uh, what did they say? Um, they, they, you know, they're, they're doing the interview before the Duke game, and what did they – I can't remember what they called themselves. It wasn't Fab Five. They're like, we're not the Fab Five. We're uh, something five oh, – I forget what they do – you, do you remember what it was? Uh, I don't. Uh, yeah, I can't remember what it was, but they, they wanted to be seen as something different than that. And, uh, uh, yeah, I, I thought that was really cool to see as well. Just those behind the scenes clips of all that. So, 
Yeah, another interesting thing I thought that really it kind of didn't get developed. It wasn't the focus of the of the documentary, but there's a part where I don't remember his name, but one of the assistant coaches from Michigan and even maybe Steve Fisher was talking about, you know, we really didn't just roll the ball out there. Like mm-hmm. we were we were really coaching and we were trying to run things and execute things and have a system. It wasn't just quote unquote street ball um, that they were playing, that they were. Um, and I thought that'd be interesting to really, you know, be a fly on the wall at those practices or, mm-hmm. you know, go back and, and watch some games again and like, okay, like, you know, what are they trying to run and execute and, and things like that? Yeah. I remember them running a lot of like high low stuff with, with Howard and Weber and and you know having those two guys play together um that's what i recall schematically yeah. what they what they did on the offensive end was a lot of that type of stuff so want to know more about a pen and a napkin and all the resources it offers go to a pen and a a great resource for any coach at any level in addition to our a pen and a napkin university video library options that are available to order we have hundreds of pages of notes from one-page handouts to book breakdowns to original coaching notes. We also have coaching links, a full catalog of every A Pen and a Napkin podcast, and ways to contribute to the growth of A Pen and a Napkin. Apenandanapkin.com is a coaching resource that will help you become a better coach. Uh, next category, Mr. Kruger. Uh, how can this film help you win games? I've got uh, you know, four, well, about four things. On this one here, how many do you have? Okay, this one I kind of have um, blank a little bit because okay. I kind of I I had a hard time kind of differentiating this one from like the coaching stuff that we okay. talked about, like mm-hmm. um, you know handling younger kids and and mm-hmm. how to handle players. So I was kind of like I'm not sure what I want to put on this on this category because I kind of kept coming back to those things. Okay, well I'll take the lead here then. So uh, I think that to help you understand to to win games i think one of the things is the you know steve fisher is underrated in this story he understood that players win games and i think sometimes as coaches we think it's our scheme we think it's uh this that or the other thing ultimately it, it comes down to players making plays and i think steve fisher was pretty quick to say yeah you know I got a lot smarter when I got better players and you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of truth to that, you know? And, and I, so I think this film shows you just, we may think that we're really, 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 and and we do really important things as head coaches, Mark, don't get me wrong. You and I both know that, but ultimately if we don't have really good players, we're probably not going to win a ton of games. And I, and, and I think that's one of the things that this film shows us. Yeah, I would agree um, totally. And again, you 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 see that at the like we were talking about earlier at the high school level, at the at the college level. And hey, let's you know, he's create a super team. I'm going to go play with those kids. And yeah, I mean, talent, talent definitely, especially in a game like basketball, talent can can take over. And mm-hmm. we joke, you know, we again we joke about that all the time. Yeah, like you said, um, we got a lot smarter when so and so walked through the door. Yeah. Yep. Um, I, we, we kind of talked about it already, how to handle a tough loss. You know, we talked about the North Carolina game, um, Uh and, and, and Weber with the, with that. I think one thing that I noticed rewatching this was, 
and this had nothing to do with Michigan and everything to do. And I rem- I distinctly remember, and I and I watched the game on more than one occasion. I distinctly remember that second half that Duke played in that title game in '92, and the champions DNA that came out in that group that last 20 minutes. Uh, about a week and a half ago, we kind of saw the same thing with the Golden State Warriors in the second half of that game seven against Sacramento. And the, the champion's DNA is so hard to find, but when you have a group that just shows you how to go out and rip a championship away from another team, or and, and the, I understand that the Warriors didn't take it away, didn't take a championship away from the Kings, but they took that series away, and, and they just took things to another level. And I think that is so precious and so hard to find. And, and I think that's one of the underrated things about the documentary is it took a great, great team like a, like a Duke. Or you saw the champion's DNA of that North Carolina team that yeah. probably, you know, if it's a video game, they probably don't. And it wasn't like that North Carolina team was bad. They were still pretty talk on good. But if it's a video game, Michigan wins probably eight or nine times out of ten. But that champion's DNA on the big stage, you know, North Carolina found a way to win it. You know, they yeah. found a way to to win the game and make the plays that they needed to make to play. So uh, that's another thing that jumped out at me watching it this time through. Yeah, and, and Jalen Rose, right, I think it was right towards the very end of that documentary, he's talking about that game, and he's like, yeah, you know, we lost, but, you know, can you name the five starters from North Carolina? Yeah. Nobody knows who those guys are. Actually, I think I could. You know the Fab Five. Yeah, I I think I could. Like it was Derek Phelps, Donald (laughs) Williams, Brian Reese, George Lynch, who had, he was in the NBA for about 10 years, and Eric Montross. I think that was the five starters for that North Carolina. Uh, Cousin Jim, when you listen to this, um, he's a a North Carolina grad, North Carolina uh, (laughs) Hoops fan. Uh, Cousin Jim, when you listen to this, let me know if I got that right. So. Um, anything else on this one, Kruger? Um, don't think so. No, like I said, I didn't have a whole lot in that in okay. that category. All right. Uh, the motivational grade. How motivated are you to hoop after watching this documentary, Kruger? A through F. Um, you know, I I put a C. Um, mm-hmm. Just again because I wasn't a huge fan of uh, of, uh, and then also the way the way the documentary ends, talking about the the shady side of everything mm-hmm. it did it doesn't leave you like excited about the sport necessarily it kind of you know ends on the on the sour note of what you know went down um with those guys and everything like that um so in a way it's kind of it's kind of depressing a little bit sure um so it kind of left me with with that kind of sour taste in like oh gosh you know these Fab Five, they could have been great and it could have been so good, but it got you know ruined for other reasons and things. Mm-hmm. We, we we are going to agree to disagree on this one. Let me get out my black socks, Kruger. Let me get out my baggy <laughs> shorts. It's a, it's an A for me. I'm ready to go out. I'm ready to let it fly. I'm ready to talk a little trash out on my driveway. Uh, I can't talk trash anymore to Carter because he's way more athletic than me now, and he's going to kick my butt. So, uh, but I'm I'm ready to roll. I'm ready to roll after watching this one. So. That's good. Yeah, we 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 have different viewpoints on that, and that's that's good. So. Yeah. Hear that bell, Kruger? Yeah. That means it is time for a new category. 
a brand new category to the to the film room. The post-game press conference. Uh, what is your first question for the post-game press conference? So what we mean by that is what are questions that you have about the, the film? Uh, what are some questions that you would like to have? What would, what would you have liked to have? Uh, uh, you know, just what questions do you have that maybe could have made this film perhaps even better? Um, I've got about three things. So, okay, I got I got four. Okay, so you go ahead and lead this um, one. Okay, so my first one, and this is something, and maybe this was in the book, um, but I did not know about this when they talked about how they met Muhammad Ali in a hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not know about that, and I thought that was really cool. So I, you know, I thought, like, man, what was that conversation like? Yeah, you know, for yeah. for those guys. Um, to meet somebody like Muhammad Ali. And it wasn't like, it was like a spur of the moment thing. Like it wasn't planned. They didn't know it was coming. Mm-hmm. It just kind of, it just kind of boom happened and fell in their lap. Yeah. Organically. Um, but, yeah. And so like, I was just like, again, like what was that conversation like that had to have been really surreal moment for those guys. And um, again, I didn't, I never heard that story before. So I thought that was really cool. I I, um, I I don't really ahead. remember that from the book. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I, I can't remember if it was in there or not. I guess and it had to be. Uh, you, you just don't meet Muhammad Ali as a team and then go, oh yeah, yeah, that was no big deal, yeah. you know. So, um, yeah. can I go next? Well, let's bounce sure. back and forth. Let's do a tennis match on this one here, or right. or pickleball for people our age. So, <laughs> uh, why was there not more about the Kentucky game in the '93 Final Four? Because yeah. that was an unbelievable game. They, I believe they went to overtime. I'm really confident they went to overtime. And people thought that Kentucky was the best team of that loaded Final Four. And I thought they that was just like a 10-second little yeah. clip on that. And I'm like, that was that was a hellacious basketball game. Up and yeah, down, they just, just kind of went like, "Oh yeah," and they got in overtime, and they won in overtime, and, and it was and, on to the finals. Yeah, that was a tremendous uh, discredit to that Kentucky team because that you know it was Jamal Mashburn and uh, the system that Patino was running at the time. And uh, you know we could dive into that X and O's nerd wise for for a long time here. We won't here, but because uh, it's not the time or the place. But um, that would that would be in in the editing room. I want to see that. I want to say right. I I think that game deserved two three minutes because that was that was a heavyweight matchup there. Yeah, and like I said, my favorite parts was watching the highlights against Duke. So I definitely would would want to see more of that. Mm-hmm. So, what's another question you have in the in the post game scrum? Um. So like details of their recruitment. Mm-hmm. Um. Just some of that. Like what what really went on? They talk about Jawan Howard's a little bit. Um, oh, from the coach's but, uh, perspective, you mean? Yeah, just yeah. like you know, was it was it above the board? Did they, you know, were they getting? Was it illegal? Was it you know just the um, just details about how they all ended up at at Michigan? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, specifically probably Weber a little bit, but um, I just kind of thought. I mean, they did talk about it a little bit, but. Um, just thought that was something that I you know, I'd like to hear a little bit more about mm-hmm. um, because I thought Jalen Rose did a good job of just, like being honest about the stuff at the end. He goes, "Yeah, we took this. Yeah, I took that." Mm-hmm. Um, so if he would have you know talked about the recruitment part of it, 
to a little bit. I think I read as as we were getting ready for tonight, um, the when the, when they did all that stuff, the illegal benefits never came from the coaching staff. The coaching staff's recruitment, from what I understand, was clean. Uh, mm-hmm. That they followed NCAA rules, and the the what got them in trouble was not monitoring somebody like Ed Martin and right. not keeping him away from the program. Uh, kind of like uh, you know John Wooden uh, had. Oh, I forget the guy's name, um, uh, but he had a booster that you know years and years later kind of came out that. Well, you know, he took care of some of these guys and, and Wooden didn't know about it, but he didn't exactly. He could he probably could have worked harder to keep um, uh, Sam Griffin, I want to say. It was something like that was the guy's mm-hmm. name. He kept him away from the players and the program and that type of thing. So yeah. um, so that's what that's what Fisher got fired for was kind of, what do they call it, lack of institutional cor- control or something Control, like that. right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, um, my my next question in the post game press scrum, uh, kind of related to yours and recruitment. Uh, if the Fab Five played today, what would they be making in NIL? Uh, yeah, that's a good one. You know, they would they would it would uh, they they might be taking a pay cut when when they went right. to when they went to the NBA, uh, especially in this Twitter world and the way that they would have captured people's attention and the personalities and things like that. Uh, you know that's that that would be that would be really really interesting. So, uh, yeah. what other questions do you have? Did someone on the who like on the bench, man? Who called timeout? Ooh, ooh! They kind of threw Michael Talley under the bus. Yeah, um, but you know, there's there's backstory there of like afterwards, and you know, like just th- that whole. I do, I do believe. I mean, I, you, can, you can I don't know conspiracy theory or what, but I I do believe someone did did say it. Yeah, on the bench, um, but uh, you know, yeah, like just that whole story, like what really happened, mm-hmm. and then and not only what really happened, but what really happened afterwards in the locker room, um, in the locker room, or even behind closed doors, you know, mm-hmm. back in back in their locker room or back in a in a dorm room or apartment, like you know, what what really. Was there, you know, resentment? Did they, you know, was it forgive and forget, or like just, um, mm-hmm. you know, what what really is behind that story of of who said something, what did they say, and, mm-hmm. and what happened? Well, if you read Weber's lips, he 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 dribbles down, as they say, you know, after he traveled, he dribbles yes. all the way down the floor, <laughs> he he jump stops, he pivots, turns, calls the timeout, and then one of the assistant coaches. Uh, it, again, I appreciate the early '90s kind of baggier suit fashion that that guy had on. That was good stuff right there. Um, and right away, Weber, blah blah blah. But if you read his lips, some blah 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 blah. Somebody said timeout, and you yeah. can see him say it like right after right after the whistle is blown. I mean, it's not more than four or five seconds after that. And and the very last thing he says, you can literally see him say timeout. So it wasn't like he sat there and looked around and go, oh, crap, I called timeout. And he pauses for two, three seconds. He said, well, who told me to call timeout? I mean, he immediately turned and said, some, 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 some timeout. And uh, so I think he heard something over there in front of the bench. I I really do believe that. Yeah. 
Yeah, I would, I would agree. And, uh, um, yeah, it's just again tough situation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another question of mine that I have, um, and maybe this, this goes into our next category. Um, why, why not have more about the big 10 in that time period? You you got Bobby Knight at Indiana at the height of his powers. Ohio State was really and they and they they talked about the, um, you know the Elite Eight game that they won to go to the Final Four where they where they played Ohio State and I get that but but they didn't spend any time talking about just how good the Big Ten was their rivalry with Michigan State Illinois was good during that time period Iowa obviously was really I I my dad always says if Chris Street wouldn't have passed away I really think Iowa had a chance to make the final four that year um they they had all everything that you needed to make the final four and he was the, the missing ingredient um mm-hmm. you know and and I wish they would have spent Three, again, this is our wheelhouse, Kruger. This is this is our high school years. This is our early college years. Uh, we, I'm sure you spent a lot of time watching a lot of syndicated Big Ten games on Thursday nights the same way I did. Um, I wish they would have spent three or four minutes talking about the conference and how important those conference games were during that time period. Uh, that, that would have been something to add. Yeah, because they talk about that. So it was a, an Elite Eight game when they beat Ohio State. Mm-hmm. And Ohio State was the one seed. Is that right? Yes, I believe that's what they said. And so, right. So, like, man, there's so you know, here's the Fab Fab Five. Like, what was their, what was their seed? Do you remember? Were they a four? Like, six. They, weren't a, they were a six that first year. They were a six. But what, okay, so then, so then they get to the so they beat Ohio State, and then they go to the Final Four, and then there's Indiana. Yeah. So like you know, there's there's like you said, there's three Big Ten teams right there. Um, so yeah, that, the league was just loaded. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, there's Illinois and there's Iowa and Michigan State. Um, and then, Purdue, and yeah, Purdue was, had Glenn Robinson during that time period, I believe. Yeah, uh, right yeah, around Purdue. that time. Yeah. yeah. So, so I mean, golly, you know, it just would have been nice to talk about the depth of the league at that time. I think would have been really good. And again, we're you know we're we're Big Ten homers. I get that. You know, so folks that are listening to this and anywhere else outside the Big Ten, we're like, okay, we're tired of hearing about the Big Ten. But darn it. The Big Ten is the Big Ten, so you know, just roll with it, folks. I guess so. Um, what else you got? Anything else on this one? Um, the only thing is like, so this is a question, not like sort of like a post post game press question, but like, do it would just be it would just really be nice to get Chris Weber to talk in one of these. Um, and I, I realize he's probably never going to do it, um, but just you know, after all these years that. You know, it'd really be interesting to hear his side of the story on a lot of this stuff. Kruger, that brings us to our next category, and it's a new category. In-game adjustments. What would you have done differently in this film? And that is at the top of my list. Let's dive into the whole Chris Webber thing. I think, you know, uh, now's the time to do it. I agree with you, Mark. Um... It, it's you can't you can't really it, it's you can't really tell this story without having Chris Weber's perspective. I appreciate the other four players being part of it, uh, but you it, it it would be like 
trying to tell, and and I don't know if this is an apples to apples or apples to orange comparison, but you can't you can't tell the story of the steroid era of baseball and Jose Canseco saying, well, "I'm not going to talk about it," you know, or or yeah. something like that. And I don't mean to lump Chris Webber and Jose Canseco together or whatever, but I mean I do, but I don't, you know. Uh, I I just think that. This story will never be complete until Chris Weber talks about it openly. And I think at some point he's got to, he has to, you know, you can't. And I think that is one of the big knocks on Chris Weber uh, as a player when he went into the pros. Uh, you know, he played for Golden State for a year. And then Don Nelson saw how great he could be, so he coached him hard, and he didn't want to hear it, and he got Don Nelson fired, and, and they, or they shipped him, they shipped him out, they traded him uh, when he was in the perfect place. Uh, he goes to Washington, gets in some trouble, finally lands on his feet in Sacramento, and then all this stuff comes out about Ed Martin, and there's there's a whole heck of a lot of smoke with Ed Martin and Chris. You're kind of at the center of it. And and if you made a mistake as a 19... We all made mistakes as 19, 20-year-olds. So own up to it. Uh, who would not have taken that money if it was offered to us as at 20 years old? And, and you know, Chris, as, as Mitch Album said, you know, he came from a very modest background. That money would have had real-world applications and, and benefits to his family. So I don't think anybody would have blamed him if he would have taken that money, if he, if he truly did take that money, where it seems like there was a, a pretty good amount of money exchanged there. So I, I, I just think you, you, you can't tell this story without Chris Weber being on the record with it. And I, but at the same time, you know, you hate to paint with a broad brush, but, you know, it's it's kind of, you know, he, he's received a lot of criticism about not making big plays at the biggest moments and, and things like that. And I don't know if that's deserved or not deserved, but, you know, just just tell us it's it's been 30 years. Let's let's yeah. let's let's let us know. You know, yeah, and like I said, I, I that's why I kind of appreciated Jalen Rose. Like, yeah, I did it, I took it. Like, and and I, I had this written down in, in my notes somewhere too, just what you said. Like, I don't blame those guys, no, for for taking like growing up the way they grew up, and and like it's totally understandable why they why they did it. And uh, um, so again, I I just would really like you said, I like to hear Chris come out and and uh until what happened and you know maybe he'd be remembered differently if he did yeah and and i just i just think that you know it would help his legacy and chris weber was an immensely talented those you know kruger i'm sure we're probably on the same page with this those sacramento kings teams that he was on there for those two or three years when they were really humming with him and vlade uh you know chris weber was kind of Jokic before Jokic, the way he could pass the ball from the high post and getting other players involved. And he was a really unselfish player. Um, I think it, but, but his legacy is just kind of constantly criticized. And, and I think part of that legacy would be, would benefit by him just going on the record and talking about it whether and, and and if if he truly says you know for the last time look i didn't take any of this money i don't know what you're talking about or whatever whatever the circumstances are then okay then you got to live with it at that point but i mean come on you know you, you can't 
not talk about this and, and not uh, we all have to face face that stuff at, at, at a certain point, you know. Yeah. So and and I think it would help his legacy. I, I really do uh, because he deserved. Let me ask you this, Chris Weber. I'm going to borrow one here from from Bill Simmons. Overrated, underrated, or properly rated in his basketball career? Um. Yeah, I don't know. I'm going to say probably properly is mm-hmm. kind of where where my first thought goes. Mm-hmm. Um, very good player. Probably could have been could have been a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, I I think that's kind of how he's remembered anyway. Mm-hmm. So I, that's where I'm going to fall. I agree with you there. I agree with you there. New category. The DNP CD category, the did not play coach's decision category, i.e., Kruger, if you were making this film, is there anybody that you would have taken out of this film? Is there anybody in this film that should not have been in this film? Okay, I went a little bit lighthearted here again. Um, and talking about the clips of, of the real games, um, I, I about dropped my drink when I saw Ed Hightower. <laughs> um, big big 10 official yep for those people out there again big 10 again but ed hightower was was one of those people who somehow the camera always found ed hightower and big calls always found ed hightower mm-hmm. and um he he was so yeah when i saw him i had forgotten about ed hightower and uh uh, yeah, so I was kind of traumatized again. Okay, I, I thought you were going to say Mitch Album's haircut. No, no, but I, I saved that one for the, the other category. <laughs> um, yeah, I forgot about uh, TV Ed Ed Hightower making an appearance there. Um, I, I I I said no. I, I thought everybody that they had on the documentary was really well placed. Um, I, I think they had. A lot of really, really good perspectives from a lot of different people. Uh, it was great to have Steve Fisher on there and Brian Dutcher, now famous for taking San Diego State to the title game this past yeah. year. Um, you know, so I, I, I think it was really well done in that regard. So, uh, yeah. we're good there. Yeah, I agree. And like people just like, you know, getting the cultural perspective, people like Ice Cube and things like that. Yep. Um, you know, kind of yep. outside of the, the so-called college basketball world, um, how it how their how that culture bled over into other areas, I think, was was really well done, too. Mm-hmm. New category, Kruger. The game ball of the movie. You know, we used to call this MVP. So it's an old category that's been renamed the game ball of the movie who are you giving your game ball to in the locker room um i guess i'm i'm leaning i'm leaning jalen rose um i think he probably you know talks the most out of the out of the players um and i think he is uh was really kind of you know honest about his role on things and uh um it's not that i'm a i'm a huge jalen rose fan like you were of his being a player or his his media presence today i could i could kind of give or take that mm-hmm. but uh i just felt like his his honesty and, and things he talked about you know some of the things that chris weber did how it, it kind of affected their relationship and mm-hmm. um so i just felt it was a very honest perspective from from his end they they didn't talk for like years at one point 
I, I think the riff was that strong. Um, and then I think the year that Beeline took Michigan to the final, and, I, and they got beat, uh, maybe Villanova beat them, but that was the first time that the Fab Five had been in the same room together since they were in college or, or something like that. You know, It had been a long time and that the, they were sitting together during the game. And from a historical perspective, that was a really cool thing. So um, we, we do agree on this category. I had Jalen Rose for a lot of the same reasons as, as you, Kruger. Um, you know, he was, he was really honest, uh, really open with his perspectives. Um, you know, and, and obviously of, of the four members of the team, he's the most media savvy probably because he works in the media. So he understand what to say to, to, you know, get them, you know, and I, and I think he was kind of the, the guy that spearheaded the project as well. Um, mm. so, uh, but I had him as MVP as well. So, Overall grade, Mr. Kruger. Let's wrap it up with the overall grade for the uh, Fab Five. Again, I, I gave it a B. Um, I thought it was, again it's well done. Um, border probably probably leaning towards B plus. Okay. Um, again, I don't. I didn't give it an, an A because um, again, it kind of left the sour taste in my mouth with the with the corruption and things mm-hmm. that, that goes on in college basketball. Um, uh, but yeah, overall, again, I enjoyed watching it. I thought it was very well done. Um, we mentioned a few things that we could have, should have, but you know, it can't be, it can't be four hours long either. Sure. So, but, uh, yeah, overall, um, it was enjoyable to kind of go down memory lane again and, and, uh, I enjoyed it. So this is going to come as a shock to you, Kruger. Uh, I gave it an A, um, <clears throat> and more so I, I just, um, and again, this is again, right in the wheelhouse. It was a very, influential time period of our life and kind of like you said um you you were either kind of a duke guy or a michigan guy you you know of the same ilk you were a lakers or a celtics guy uh Mm -hmm. even if you were a a spurs fan well in the playoffs you cheered for the lakers or the celtics uh when my dad was a kid you either loved ucla or you hated ucla you know type same type of thing you know and, Mm -hmm. and and that's just natural uh I, I used to, I think you know this, Mark, I used to teach that sports history class. Yeah. And, and you know, of all the 30 th- for 30s that, that I could pick from, uh, this was one of the two 30 for 30s that I showed in that class. Uh, just to show the, the students uh, the, the cultural influence, the things that you see today in professional basketball, in a lot of different sports, uh, a lot of this you could not all of it obviously, but a lot of it you can trace back to these two or three years of college basketball, and and like we had talked about, close to the top, you know, a little bit of that player empowerment type of movement, uh, you know, those type of things. I, I think this can come out of uh, of this, and so that's the reason why I showed it in my sports history class because I, I wanted the players to to see that. So. Um, so I, I really like this. I really have an appreciation for it. And again, it's right in my wheelhouse, right in our wheelhouse of yep. our young adult days as well. So a lot of good memories came out of this. So anything Agreed. else, Coach Kruger? No, I was, it, was, it was good. I enjoyed doing it. I enjoyed being on. All right. Awesome stuff. So um, this is number one. And like I said, we've got, we've got 10 Films coming your way in season two of the film room. We got a lot of really, really good stuff lined up. Uh, Kruger, you saw you saw the lineup. Now you can, you can't say anything about the titles nope. or anything on there. But uh, what'd you think of uh, what we put together? 
all very good selections. Um, I think there was just a, a couple of things where I was like, Ooh, like I, you know, most of the things I've, I've seen many, many times and, and some are like, Ooh, I need to go and, and watch that for the, either the first time or the, or, or again, it's been where it's been a long time, but, um, but yeah, all, all good stuff. Okay. Well, I appreciate the unofficial endorsement. I owe you compensation at Tom Crable's place the next time we get together. How's that sound? Perfect. All right. So, uh, folks, I hope you enjoyed uh, the first episode of the second season of The Film Room. I brought out the heavy hitters. This was a Ricky Henderson type of leadoff hitter here. Uh, Take that compliment and run with it, Kruger, there. So, uh, you know, uh, one of my most versatile... uh, uh, guests that I've had on the pod and and one of my good coaching friends Mark Kruger from Millard West High School always always a good time to have Kruger on the pod and and I hope you folks enjoyed uh, the the Fab Five and everything that that went into it uh, I think you're really gonna like this uh, this season of the film room and you know just enjoy it enjoy it these are a lot of fun uh, for me to do and and I really enjoy putting all this this part of it together so I hope you folks have enjoyed it so Coaches, as always, let's be sure to hold our craft one day at a time.